Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 15. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. This is God's word. Evening. This is our last uh, one in 2 Corinthians for a little while, but we'll come back to it soon. And uh, when the pastor of the church says at the start of the service that it's his favorite passage in the Bible and he wishes <laughs> he wishes he was speaking on it, you... Um, you need to pray. Let's pray. <laughs> Our Father, we um, praise you for your words to us, and uh, we uh, ask that by your Spirit you would change our hearts that these uh, words written uh, years ago might speak directly into our lives and change us. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. Is there something wrong with the Christian message? Is there something wrong with the Christian message? We live in a big city, is it seven million people? And uh, you look around and you think sometimes, uh, I wonder if uh, the message of the Christian faith is slightly dud, defective uh, even. Not a huge number of people in the city seem to be Christians. Maybe you're looking in on the Christian faith. You think, what is the message of Christianity? Is there something wrong with it? Um, speaking to someone recently, basically the Christian faith they were telling me needs needs an update. You know, cut uh, cut this bit out, uh, paste this bit in, and it would be much more credible to this world. That's that's what's needed. And some of us will will know from experience just 
trying to explain the Christian faith to someone over a number of years, and sometimes you just feel like you're you're just bashing your head against a brick wall, and you you start to think, is there something wrong with the Christian message? You wonder. Uh, or another question: you, you look at your own life, and you start to think this. Maybe there's maybe there's something wrong with me and my life. Maybe that's what the the problem is. Maybe that's why I'm not making any inroads into the lives of my friends or Christians into the life of this city. Um, when I became a Christian, we thought we might have expected that our life would sort of take off in a in an upward trajectory. And then we look at our lives day to day and actually, truth be told, things seem to have gone the other way. Things are much harder than they were since we've become a Christian. Uh, we look at those around us in our uh, office, uh, in our university, and we think, well, their lives just, just look so much more Together than my life, my life just emotionally I just feel paper thin and yet they're so together it looks like at least. And so we think maybe maybe the problem's me and my life. Maybe that's the reason we're not making any inroads. Maybe that's what's going on. The Apostle Paul must have been tempted to, uh, to think something like that as he wrote to the church in Corinth. The temptation was to distrust the Christian message. It was under all sorts of pressure. People were saying, well, it just doesn't seem to be cutting it in the world today. And certainly in his own life, he must have looked at it and seen the beaten up life that he lived in and thought, maybe maybe there's something wrong with me. Must have been tempted to lose heart. And yet in this passage, he, he starts boldly. Do you see verse 1, chapter 4? Therefore... Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Paul's absolutely clear. We don't need to lose heart with the Christian message or with the state of our lives, think that uh, God's made a mistake. We don't need to lose heart. Um, he's going on the front foot. And we'll see in this passage that he says to get the gospel out, we need to be prepared to. Well, let's look at a few things. We need to be prepared to speak the truth. Verses 1 to 6. We need to be prepared to speak the truth. In other words, he says there's nothing wrong with the Christian message. That's not the problem. That's not why we're not making any inroads in. And, and in these verses 1 to 6, there, there are really three characters that he picks out. There's, uh, there's us, uh, verse 1. Us, the apostles, but us Christians included. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. What he's saying is because of God's incredible mercy, we, people like us, have been included in this ministry. He laid out what that was last week. This ministry, he's saying, is is a ministry of uh, grace, not condemnation. A ministry of glory, not something that's fading. Uh, he's saying this, this ministry that we have is a life-giving ministry. It's an extraordinary ministry. He's saying we have this ministry this glorious, life-giving ministry, by God's mercy, that's what we have. And we've been included in it. So we don't lose heart. We don't shrink back. We don't lose our nerve and think maybe it's somehow defective. No, we've been included in this life-giving, glorious ministry. And so he can say in verse 2, in, in fact, oh, we've turned from uh, covering things up. Uh, we've turned from secret and shameful ways. 
We don't use deception. We don't sort of stoop to any tactics just to get people in through the front door, change the message. We don't distort the word of God. It's very tempting, isn't it, to to think if I just adjusted the Bible's message just just a li- just a weeny bit with that friend, or maybe just as a church, if we just change that bit a bit, we would start to rake people in. There'd be churches full. I mean, maybe just just cut out sin a bit. Just just cut that out of the message. That's not very popular today. Uh, water water down hell. Ju- judgment. Do we do we need to teach that? The uniqueness of Christ. How how can you keep teaching that Jesus is the only way when we live in a a city of many uh, religions? How can we keep doing that? What about sexual ethics? Shouldn't we just keep what the Bible says about sexual ethics just quiet? I wonder which bit for you, with friends or family or in the office. You're, You're just tempted to just cut back a little bit on. Paul says we... We don't need to do that. We don't do that. We've renounced all of that. Because you see, Paul knows that the, the problem is not the message. We're tempted to think, if I just change that, then, then that would, would make inroads because we think that the message is defective. Paul says it's, it's not the message. That's why he says, verse 2, on the contrary, we just set forth the truth plainly. That's what the job of a Christian minister or any Christian is, just to set forth the truth Plainly. Because what's the problem? Well, that's the second character, verses 3 to 4. The the real problem, he says, is this, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he says the real problem isn't the message. The problem is that the God of this age has blinded people. Now, the God of this age could be, um, people say it could be three people say this could be God, uh, himself here. Um, unlikely, I think, because God is the God of every age. He seems to be saying the God of this age. Some think maybe this is the God which is this age. You could translate it that way. I think it's just most likely, most straightforwardly. Paul is talking about the enemy of the work of the Christian gospel, Satan himself. So the Bible, um, would say that he is a real, being, uh, that he is a real being. He has limited power uh, in this world, but he does have real power in it. And he he doesn't work in a way which means that we're not culpable for our blindness. You could read that and think, well, therefore, we're not culpable for it. The Bible would make it clear that um, our blindness uh, is under him, but it's a blindness that we uh, we're happy with. It's convenient for us. We We live in blindness and We're responsible for that as well. So the Bible doesn't let us off the hook in that sense. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying the reason that people don't get it isn't because of the message. The reason people don't get it is because they're they're blind. They've got sort of spiritual cataracts in front of their eyes so that they don't see because the God of this age has blinded people uh, through our sin, through the world that we live in, the, the seen world that we just draw on all of the time. Um, That's his tactic. That's how he does it. He just keeps eternity out of our eyes so that we don't see it. He says that's the the problem. People are blind. Um, Do you remember in um, 
Remember the book Great Expectations? Maybe you read it at GCSE at school. Do you remember the character in there, Miss Havisham? I don't know if you remember her. Miss Havisham, she's an um, old lady when Pitt meets her. Um, but at the start of the, before the story, we discovered that um, what happened was she was, she was left at the uh, altar. And so what she's done in her life is basically she, she puts herself in her mansion and she puts shutters across all of the windows and she just lives in this darkened house. All of the clocks have stopped, I think it's 20 to 9 or something, the time when she was uh, in the church. And there she is, shut in this darkened house, all of the light excluded. And, uh, and that's a picture here. We, here we are in this verse. That the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You see, I mean, you could come to Miss Havisham and say, um, what we need is, uh, we need a new sun. That's the, that's the problem. We need a new sun. <laughs> the sun's shining on the outside. It's glorious sunshine. The problem is that she's shut in. She shut herself in against the sunlight. We don't need a new sun for Miss Havisham. We don't need a, a new Christian message for the city that we live in. That's not the problem. We just teach it clearly. We just keep going with that. The problem is that people are blind. Also, we think, well, <laughs> okay, we haven't solved the problem. We've got a bigger problem all of a sudden. We thought it was the message. Now it's much bigger. It's us against goodness, against the God of this age. That's, that's a bigger problem. Except for the third character that Paul points us to in these verses. Verse 5. We don't preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, we're just, we're just slaves. We're not putting ourselves forward. If it was ourselves against the God of this age, that'd be a pretty big mismatch, but it's not. He says, God is the one who can open darkened minds. And he says, if you want two examples of that, um, then how about try creation and conversion? So creation, Genesis 1 is the verse that he quotes from here. He's saying, at creation, God spoke. God said, let's have some light around here. And there was light. It was just darkness before that until that moment. And God spoke. And light just came out of him. God spoke into a world of dark, into darkness and a world came into existence. Verse six. God who said, let light shine out of darkness. And then he goes on to conversion. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, we, we know that we we know that God can do this. What's the evidence for that? Well, creation. But God did this in you, if you're a Christian. God did this in you. At one point, you were uh, in darkness. We were Miss Havisham's. We'd shut ourselves off. We lived in spiritual darkness. And God, with a word, said, let's have some light around here. And the shutters were pulled back, spiritually speaking, and light just flooded into our heart so that we could see things we were darkened 
but we could see that Jesus Christ is Lord because God gave us light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's very humbling, isn't it? God did that. If you're sitting here as a Christian, I look back to when I became a Christian. And the Bible says that before that I was in, I was in darkness. I couldn't work out what God was like. I couldn't work out uh, whether there was a God, what he was like. But God shone light into my heart when I became a Christian to give me the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's very humbling. And if we're looking in and think, well, how do I, where do I start with the Christian faith? One of the steps is, is to see that, that we need God's help to work these things out. It can be very humbling. But that's one of the messages here. We'll need God's help as we're looking in to find these things out. So he's saying there's nothing wrong with the Christian message just because you've been going at it for years. This church has been going for 10 years with the same message. We're just going to keep going. We're not going to change the message. We're just going to keep teaching it as clearly as we can, speaking the truth plainly. So there's the first thing. We need to be prepared to speak the truth. We say, okay, well, it's not the message then. I see that. I see that now. But maybe the problem is me. Maybe the problem is my life because the world looks so impressive in the marketplace of ideas and the city that we live in. Maybe we need a few more sort of glitzier lives that would dazzle people and attract people. And so here's the second thing. Paul says that there's nothing wrong with Christian weakness. Actually, we need to be prepared to feel weak. So verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life at work in you. What he's saying is that this glory, this glory of knowing the God of the universe in the face of Jesus Christ, is treasure. It's the most wonderful thing that anyone could discover in the whole universe, to be in a relationship with the God who made you. But then he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. This most important thing, most extraordinary thing that anyone could ever have. God's put it in jars of clay. In well, The idea is just of ordinary containers. You know, some, some containers are very impressive, aren't they? So um, a Ming vase probably set you back a, a million pounds or something. It's just, it's just a container. It's just a container, but, you know, ornate and beautiful. Put your, your plants in it, and actually the, the container is more impressive than, than the plants, really. Extraordinary containers. But, but what he's saying here is that the container that God has chosen to put this treasure in is not impressive at all. It's just a, a jar of clay. I mean, I think it, if you were doing this today, it would be this. God's... God's <laughs> God's put his treasure in a placky plastic placky bag. Is that placky? What sort of word is that? Plas- in a plastic bag. God's put 
the most extraordinary treasure in the universe in people like you and me who are basically tatty, little old plastic bags. Nothing impressive. I mean, you had a Ming vase and you had a plastic bag. Which would you get? You go for the Ming vase. But God didn't do that. God put his treasure in us who are just plastic bags, very ordinary. I mean, imagine... I, mean, I was thinking about this. I was thinking that the the, the crown jewels, which are uh, in the Tower of London, I think the, the Queen's scored a bit of an old, own goal keeping them in there because, of course, people who, who go to see the crown jewels, um, you go to see the crown jewels, but you also you kind of go to see the Tower of London, the sort of containers part of the, the attraction as well. You see that, but you also go and see the impressive castle, you know, been there for a long time. It's quite impressive. It's a bit of an own goal, I think, if the, if the Queen really wanted to sort of show off the, the crown jewels, the national treasure. I mean, she really ought to put them in a plastic bag just uh, down on the north bank along there. But it would be... And if she wants to use my plastic bag and put it in there, that's fine, that's fine as well. But to see that if the container sort of attracts you, you, you might not see the treasure so clearly. There's a sort of container in the treasure and... What Paul's saying is, is the container that God has put his treasure in draws no attention to, to the container at all. We're, we're meant to look at the treasure. He's put his treasure in something very ordinary. Your human body and my human body are jars of clay for a particular reason. To make it clear that the power is not from us, is not in us, but is from God. How does that work? Well, Paul, Paul says in verse 8 to 9 that this is what demonstrates it. Verse 8, that we're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. In other words, if you look at a, a life and you see something like this, you, you will start to see the power of God. You, you look at someone's life and they never quite have enough time because they always seem to be giving time to other people. They never, they never quite have as much money as they'd like because they seem to be giving it away. Um, they seem to be marginalized for being a Christian. They can't stop worrying because some of the things that they, they worry about, they worry about others a lot of the time, and so actually they bear a fair bit of worry themselves. They don't quite understand life. Um, they're trusting God. But they don't sort of understand. Things aren't always clear. They seem under the cosh for years. Life, for some of them, seems like a, a huge weight, just like pushing a rock up a hill all of the time. And yet, they keep trusting God. All of those first things. And yet, they keep trusting God. They're hard-pressed. Life isn't quite as they would have wanted it to be. They're hard-pressed. They're perplexed. But they're not in despair, they're not crushed, they're not abandoned, they're not destroyed. They just keep going. Paul says when you see a life like that, you're seeing the power of God lived out in front of you. You're seeing the power of God lived out in front of you. And so he says we carry two things in our lives. Verses 10 to 12. Two things. We carry uh, death in our lives. So he says a few times. We we always carry death. uh, Verse 11, we're being given over to death. Death is at work in us. Let me just make an obvious point about, about that. 
Death is life going out from you. So that's what it is. Death is life going out from you. And, and, and Paul says that's what it feels like in the Christian life. We, we carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus. In other words, it's always going out from us. Life is always going out from us to others. And, and you, th- you would think that if you just kept giving to other people, if you just kept doing that, stuff going out from you, energy, um, attention, time, to, you, you'd think that at some point the, the supply of life would run out. And yet, here's what he says, the second thing is, life is at work in us. We're dying, and yet, uh, life, verse 11, is being revealed in our mortal bodies. We just keep going. We don't know where it comes from, but we're just able to keep going as Christians. And not only so, life is at work in you through that. So we just give and give. We're dying to give you life. And that's happening. And yet God keeps supplying us. We just don't know where it comes from, really. When you see something like that, Paul says you're seeing the power of God at work in a human life. It's like that, um, it's like that bit in, uh, Terminator 2, banal illustration, sorry, but do you know that, you know that bit in Terminator 2? Do you remember that film years ago when, when Arnie has just been smashed around, um, by the, the, copies that he's against just smashed around and his body is just torn apart and you think well this is the end this is the end of the film and there's that long bit when you just you just wait and you just watch and you think that's the end of it and then there's just a a flash of red just a an led that is still there and and then he's back again and he's up and going there's just something that you just could not extinguish in that guy. And, and Paul's saying it's like that. We're, we're dying. But there is something in us that you cannot in- extinguish. And that is the power of God in us. Life. And that is the way that God shows that the power is not on the outside, not on the outward impressiveness of a life, but on the inside. It's powerful when you see God take a human life, a plastic bag, and just keep it going all of the way through life. Right up to the end, giving to others, dying to themselves and living to others. And many of us here are demonstrating that as, as we live as a church family. You, you just look around and we share life together and, and sometimes you think, I, d- I don't know how he keeps going. I don't know how they keep going and, and give to other people in time, energy, attention, money, whatever it is. I don't know how they keep doing that. And yet you do, because this verse tells us what you're seeing lived out before your eyes is the power of God. Treasure in a jar of clay. So Paul says, don't, don't think that we need a, a new Christian lifestyle to prove to the world that God is powerful. No, no. You just need weak people that God keeps going and keeps serving. So Paul says, be prepared to feel weak. That is... God's plan, that's how he's going to reach the world. And then the third thing is, uh, Paul says, if you're going to live like that, then you'll need to trust God. Verse 13. It's written, I believed, therefore I've spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Now, what's going on there? You'll see from the, the footnote that he's quoting a psalm, Psalm 116. It's a psalm where the psalmist is, is just in great affliction. 
He's going through a terrible time, the psalmist. And he's, and he says, uh, I believed even when I said, I'm in great affliction. That's the sort of context of that psalm. So the guy says, I'm having a terrible time. I believed, he says, even when I said, I'm having a terrible time. I was still trusting God when I said that you can have those two things together. And Paul says the same. He said, I've just said my version of Psalm 116. You've just, you've just heard it. My version of Psalm 116 is, I'm crushed on every side but not, um, not destroyed. I'm in great affliction. And then he says, verse 13, it's written, I believe, therefore I've spoken with that same spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak. Paul's saying, our witness is that we suffer, but God is sustaining us. That's our, our witness. Now just think, think about this for a minute. Paul doesn't say, I believed and therefore I've told you that everything in my life is rosy. I believe, therefore I said everything's fine in life. Everything's rosy. It doesn't present us with some sort of sweet, sugary Christian uh, version that is unrealistic. Sometimes the impression can be given that the, the answer to how is life going for a Christian should always be fine. Should always be fi- everything's fine. In fact, it's rosy. Paul says, no, no. I believed, even when I said that stuff in the previous verses. In other words, genuine Christianity. You haven't gone beyond genuine Christianity. If sometimes you say with Paul, I I believed, even when I said, life is hard. We're, we're giving out and we don't know where the next bit of energy is going to come from. You haven't gone outside genuine Christianity if you, if you say that. Paul says, I, I'm affliction, I'm in affliction. Of course, Jesus Christ, the, the, the great uh, example of this was for, for, knew what it was like to feel forsaken by God and yet turn to God in the same moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried on the, on the cross. Two things together. Great affliction and yet also trusting God. Paul says, I believed even when I said I, this stuff before me. We speak with that same spirit of faith that Psalm 116 was written in. I'm in affliction, but I'm still looking to God. That's what Christianity can often sound like. Now, what two things in these verses undergirded that? Well, for Paul, two things. Verse 14 and 15. Firstly, God will raise us. And secondly, God will reach others. What was Paul confident of? Verse 14. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. So Paul says, I'm in affliction, but I know that one day God will raise me. I know that one day God will raise me. I know that because, verse 14, he raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. When he wrote this, it was a a few years before that. For us, it's many years ago now, but it hasn't changed the fact that it happened in history. He keeps going in affliction because he knows that one day he will be raised by God. I wonder if you ever get a moment when, I do this sometimes, I just need to, um, I do an interview with myself if I'm finding it hard in a Christian life or, or whatever. 
And I just asked myself a few questions. And one of the questions that I ask myself when I'm wondering, do I just keep going, do I pack it in, is this. Matt, do you believe that Jesus Christ was raised in history? Do you, do you believe that, Matt? I ask myself that question. Slightly odd moment, slightly uh, awkward interview. But, but the answer comes back, yes. Sometimes I, put, I, I press myself. Go on, Matt, give me, give me the other alternatives for what you think might have happened if you don't think Jesus Christ was raised in history. Um, someone stole the body. Really, you believe that? It doesn't wash. Um, it, was a, it was a hoax. It was all hallucinant. Do you believe? No, I don't believe that. I've, I've looked at it. Matt, do you believe that Jesus Christ rose in history? Yes. Or do you believe then that Jesus Christ will raise you? Yes, I believe that. I ask myself those questions and that keeps me going. And Paul is saying the same. Why do we keep going in affliction? Because we know, we know that one day God will raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. That's what kept Paul going. Here's here's the other thing. Verse 15. He knows that God will reach out to others through his suffering. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Paul says, through our suffering, others are being reached. I want to quote just as we draw things together from um, a man whose life I've been reading about recently, a guy called David uh, Some of you uh, were on the, on the house party this weekend and know that uh, sometimes the staff end up reading the same book at about the same time and there's a, there's a bit of a race to sort of include a, a quote from them in the sermon before the other one did. Matt um, this weekend got in there first, but it doesn't stop me from telling you about David Brennard, who was an 18th century missionary. Um, he died aged 28 of uh, tuberculosis. He was a missionary for four years to the American Indians, and he spent almost all of that time in, in great illness, uh, terrible health. He uh, hit great depths of depression, wondered if there was any meaning in his life uh, at all. And he died, as I said, aged 28. And just before that, he, he wrote uh, this letter to his uh, brother, as he knew that he was dying, he wrote this. I think we've got it on the, on the screen. And my dear brother, it's from the sides of eternity I now address you. I'm heartily sorry that I have so little strength to write what I long so much to communicate to you. But let me tell you, my brother, eternity is another thing than we ordinarily take it to be in a healthful state. Oh, how vast and boundless. Oh, how fixed and unalterable. Oh, of what infinite importance is it that we're prepared for eternity? I've been just a dying now for more than a week, and all around me have thought me so, but in this time I have had clear views of eternity, have seen the blessedness of the godly in some measure, and have longed to share their happy state as well as been comfortably satisfied that through grace I shall do so. Uh, years later, as people look back on his life, they thought that they saw that the, the growth of the church in that part of America had been largely due to his faithful, dogged, sacrificial witness so that others came to know Jesus Christ through him. You see, his giving of himself benefited others. That's what Paul is saying here. I know, I know that as I'm giving out here, it is benefiting 
other people. And look, I don't want to be deliberately uh, morbid on a Sunday evening, but, but one day all of us will stand at the side of eternity. That's what he's saying. I'm standing on the side of eternity now, and one day we'll stand there. Uh, some of us might have the, the luxury of being able to write a letter to someone first or die in a hospital bed. But others of us, we, we just don't know. An accident or, or something. Some of us have felt that in the last few weeks. And at that moment, two questions from this passage come to us. And the first is this. Paul says you, you want to be able to look forward and answer this question. You want to be able to look forward and answer this question. Do you know that God will raise you? That's the first question. Paul says, I know that God will raise me from the dead. That's the first question for us as we stand on the side of eternity. Do you know that God will raise you? And the second question, as you look back on your life, is this. Did my life benefit others? Paul, as he faces death, is able to look back and say, I know that my life benefited others, that, that grace reached others through my ministry. So there are two questions for you to, to think about. If it, on the first one, you're, you're not sure. The question is, do you know that you'll be raised? If you don't know, then, then keep looking at the Christian faith. Don't rest until you get an answer to that question. Jesus Christ was raised in history. What do you make of that? But if you can say, yeah, I know, I know that I'm going to be raised, then, then will you be able to one day look back and say, verse 15, I, I know that grace reached other people through my life. That's what my life was about. That's what happened in my life. You know, as you think about those questions, it does put things into perspective this week, doesn't it? Some of the things that we worry about. Actually, as we stand on the side of eternity with those two questions, do I know in the future that I'll be raised? That's one question. And can I look back and say, grace reached other people? Some of the things that we're worrying about this week are put into perspective as we imagine ourselves with David Brunard, uh, with the Apostle Paul, looking back on our lives. Paul says, all this is for your benefit. So is there something wrong with the Christian message? No. No, says Paul, there's nothing wrong with the Christian message. We just keep speaking the truth plainly. That's what's needed. So something, is there something wrong with me that life just feels stretched, paper thin? Is there something wrong with me? Does that need to change? Well, that is one of the ways that God reaches the world. That is one of the ways that God shows his surpassing power. But that won't be easy. Paul says that, that will feel like affliction. But even in that, you can trust God. You can trust him because one day he'll raise you. And one day, you'll see the ways that he's used you to reach other people. And on that day, none of the glory will go to the plastic bags or to us. All of the glory will go to God. Let's pray. The grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving 
to overflow to the glory of God. Father, we uh, thank you that you uh, choose to put your uh, treasure in people like us. Uh, we, we find our weakness so hard to live with often. Uh, we, we wouldn't have chosen to do things this way, but Lord, we see your wisdom in doing that and uh, that your power is at work in just keeping us going, just supplying the life uh, and the strength that we need to keep on giving to others. Often we don't know where it comes from, but your word teaches us here that it can only come from you. So thank you for the demonstrations of power, even in this room that we see and have the privilege of sharing amongst. Thank you for your work. And we pray that that grace in us might reach out to others, that the glory might not go to us, but might go to you. We pray that in your great name. Amen.